Warning. The following podcast may cause you to change your understanding of what it really means to be a human being. Side effects may range from a minor loss to complete annihilation of ego, a feeling of merging with something bigger than previously conceived, and a deep, abiding peace. Please, continue at mortal risk to yourself as a separate entity. Welcome. Enjoy. Greetings, greetings, greetings. All one time, live. Listeners, welcome to episode 38. Delightful conversation with Heather Dresky. In this conversation, we're going to talk about Heather's experience living with myalgic encephalomyelitis, if I didn't butcher that too badly, otherwise known as ME, oftentimes lumped in with a messier category called chronic fatigue syndrome, but uh, more specific than that. Though it still remains a bit of a mystery, Heather struggles with this on a daily basis and has so for decades and has blogged about it uh, beautifully in uh, an effort to provide information for others that may be experiencing this and having a difficult time uh, who are looking for somewhere to put themselves on the map to understand what's going on and to hopefully find some help in ways of uh, behavior, activities, medicine, diagnosis, uh, medical approach, etc. She's a very gifted writer, and uh, among her um, her blog, which is at heatherdresky.com, uh, and her, her chronicling about um, her experience with, with ME, she also writes about uh, beautifully her her longtime friend and companion, uh, canine companion, Sophie. And now she has a new dog uh, whose name I am searching for at the moment. Um, oh, Daisy. So she's got a new canine companion, Daisy. And I have a canine companion here who's being nice and quiet on the floor at the moment. And these um, these four-legged friends can really be powerful medicine and teachers as well as uh, companions and certainly friends, best friends. So I'm going to read... Uh, one of her blog posts from December 6th, 2018, a bit older, but it touched me so, and it, it just, I want to shine a light on what a gifted writer Heather is, and I'll do my best to read this well, though in, in reading uh, long things, I may tend to stumble here or there, so forgiveness and patience with that, but... Um, this, when I read it the first time, I read many of her blog posts, not all, uh, but several, and this had moved me to tears. And I hope to make it through this without uh, too much of a cracking voice. We'll see what happens. So, from 
heatherdresky.com. Her entry Thursday, December 6th, 2018. Back to the floor that I love. Sophie Chronicles Part 2. The first time I returned to Phoenix on November 11th, Christine, my long-term helper, had spruced up my condo. Nothing dramatic, just a little six-year facelift. Most were little surprises, except the two new chandeliers. One for my dining room and one for my closet. It was such a treat to return to these fresh updates. She had purchased new rugs for my bedroom, and I actually had matching pillowcases for my duvet. Matching really isn't normally my thing. She got new bath mats and some new towels. The chaise on the back porch that was past its prime was gone with the was was gone with a fresh replacement. However, the most exciting thing she did was fancy up my closet. I love my closet in Phoenix. Even though it wasn't anything besides a basic walk-in closet with a mini refrigerator and an ugly light fixture, Christine's husband had put together, though a bit over the top for the space chandelier, so that wasn't a surprise except perhaps the scale of it. But what was a surprise were the lucite tables. One had held the printer, the other a mirror jewelry box. A mirror now hung above the table, but the icing on the cake was the blue velvet tufted stool. I was in love, much deeper in love than before. I had an odd serenity in this closet, and not often, but every now and then, when I was here alone and not doing well, I would sit on the floor. I just found it comforting, quiet, and Phoenix is so bright it was nice to be in a room without windows. It felt safe. The first week after Sophie passed, I got into a routine to clean out one drawer or cabinet. A really difficult aspect of this illness is the inability to be in motion when all you want to be is moving. So this was a fulfilling comp compromise that kept my mind and body moving without much effort. So in the evenings when it was quiet, I would find a cabinet, sit on the floor, and sift through items. One afternoon, Heather, who helps me in Wisconsin, was over, and I felt good enough to do something, but not good enough to get in the car and go somewhere, and I said, well, we could do a few drawers. The two of us sat on my living room floor and began going through dr a drawer in the cabinet under the TV. A few minutes into random cords and TV manuals, Heather looked at me and said, I don't think I've sat on the floor since a child. This is oddly calming. I smiled and said, it is, isn't it? I started to talk slash sing back to the floor that I love, to the gypsy that I was. I tried not to cry. As I told her, that was the song that I had played when Sophie passed. Most of the day was silent, but I had Betty Who's I Love You Always Forever on repeat for a while. Then I switched to gypsy. Then I turned everything off, but put a Fleetwood Mac concert on the TV in the background, often on mute. When Dr. Yale arrived, it had been quiet, and I panicked a bit, realizing I wanted to hear Gypsy. Sophie was nestled on my lap, and I was trying to get it on my phone. 
But as luck would have it, Amazon Music doesn't have Gypsy unless you have the full upgrade, if you were wondering. And I was concerned that if it was on YouTube, on my phone, what song would come next? If you are also wondering, no, my phone doesn't have any music because my computer and phone don't talk to each other. Thanks, Apple. So this technology frustration was amping up my anxiety. These are the things I focused on when I didn't want to focus on what was right in front of me. Or perhaps the exact opposite. I wanted all of my attention on what was happening, but I wanted it in a certain way. So I asked my mom to come back into my room and grab my computer where my sweaty fingers wouldn't move the mouse very well. At one point, I looked at Dr. Yale and said, Oh, are you waiting for me? And he said softly, There is no hurry. And in that calm, tender voice, when you feel so cared for, that it breaks your heart. I finally found it. Who faces freedom with a little bit of fear? I have no fear. I have only love. It's a quote. There were never truer words. I had only love. I was trying to be back to my own, quote, velvet underground, to a room with some lace and paper flowers, end quote. I was transported back to my corner apartment with the slanted floor, the walk-in closet in the living room, the two doors to enter, and the lamp covered with the scarf. The last place I lived in Milwaukee prior to moving to Phoenix, when the entire world felt like it was wide open to me, to this odd little gypsy. But right now, it all came down to you. And much of the last 20 years passed in front of me before I ever met this sweet little soul to this moment when I couldn't imagine my life without her. How was I to know the storm that was brewing in front of me 15 years ago and that she would be my north? She is dancing away from me now. She is a wish. She was just a wish. She was my wish I never knew I had made. Sunday evening, November 18th, the night before we left back from Phoenix to Milwaukee. I had had my first drink in a really, really long time. I had one tablespoon of gin with tonic. I felt really blessed I didn't have any negative reaction to the drink that was my tonic for my frayed nerves. So that night I fell asleep pretty hard to wake up sometime around three in the morning and I could feel Sophie wasn't in the bed. I groggily got up and quietly called her name. I turned to look in the bathroom and then turned the opposite direction, and there she was sitting on the floor that I love under that blue velvet stool. I bent down and slowly scooped her into my arms, which she curled into, and carried her back to bed, and I knew. Sophie never went into that closet. She no longer jumped down off my bed. These were clear signs. I got back into bed and cradled her in my arms while she slept, and I cried. The next day, Sophie and I would be joining my parents back to Wisconsin. Home. I just hadn't known it then. I'm back again in Phoenix. Have been since Sunday. My mom left this morning, and despite having people in the house with me today, I feel a little lost. Sophie was my noise even in silence. 
So when my helpers were busy downstairs, I went into my closet, and instead of sitting on the floor, I just sat on the little blue velvet stool. Grateful a few weeks ago, she came here to seek solace. Now I sit here as the one that remains motionless, a bit numb, staring back at the floor that I love. Apologies for a bit of a clumsy reading. But as you can hear, Heather has the gift of sharing words from her heart. Words full of meaning. And often enough, the meaning is pointed to chronic ME and her experience with it. But perhaps just as often it's filled with the experience of life that she so colorfully portrays. I encourage you to take a visit to heatherdresky.com and have a read for yourself of that and the many other posts that she has there. So we had set out to talk in this conversation not just about her experience with ME, but also her experiences with healing, what has been effective, including some remote healing and Reiki and entities. But that, as it turned out, would have to wait until a second conversation, which will be coming up shortly, I think, in a couple more episodes. So for now, here is this conversation recorded on the 20th of November, 2020. And the next will actually be recorded sometime this evening, the 21st of February, 2021. And it will be released in just a couple of weeks' time, if all goes according to plan. So right now, well, a quick reminder, for admin's sake, if you have any follow-up questions for Heather, uh, well, check out her blog. I think she has some contact info there. Um, but also feel free to reach out to me or with any other comments, questions, ideas, personal stories, reflections to share at alloneTimeLive at gmail.com. And I'll get back to you. Take a breath. Feel that air in your lungs as it oxygenates your blood. Feel the weight of your bones and muscles and organs, your body, as it is pressed against whatever is supporting you right now in equal measure. Feel the gravity of this planet. Feel the life in your body, the consciousness that is. Be here now, still, in this moment, still. Present, aware, a conscious living being, as all are. All entities, however quiet they may exist, living in this incredible cosmos of matter and energy, at varying frequencies, all alive, all the manifestation of stardust and light, gravity, 
and imbued with consciousness as we are able to recognize through this our own experience our own direct experience of our conscious being right now that all have this consciousness and to extend that appreciation of being that respect that awe to others humans and non-humans alike to be soft in your forgiveness in your acceptance in your care to be tender to yourself and to others I mentioned to Heather a poem called The Desiderata by Max Ehrman, written in 1929. I briefly mention it to her here. And as an aside, I would encourage you to check out that poem. Perhaps at the end of this episode, I will read it for what it's worth. It endures in some timeless capacity to be a helpful compass and reminder of some of the humble scale of being and the softness which is helpful to give to ourselves the humility, the awe, the appreciation, and the feeling of comfort that the universe is going on exactly as it is supposed to. So, in this present state of being, with an appreciation greatly for Heather sharing her experience in words and the following conversation, I introduce to you Heather Dresky. As always, enjoy, enjoy. Here you go. Okay, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear and me? I can hear you. Yeah. Oh, I should have said, no, I can't. That's one of my favorite things to do. Um, <laughs> um, me and tech are not friends. We are not friends. Yeah. I, I think I must've been a Silicon miner back in the previous life and it's mad at me now or something. I, I'm very envious. Look at your setup. It's very impressive. Well, you know, it's uh, it, it's a decent microphone, and then it, it's some other stuff like a jangly arm, and you, you should you should see it. Like if I had a camera that could actually show you where it looks like, it's not as impressive, but good from oh, the, the camera view, it's good. Okay, yes, it's very good. And I I don't know my Apple ID, my password, anything. So I can't figure out how to get audio or earbuds. But I figured if the sound isn't good, I can always do it on my phone with earbuds. So you let me know. Is right on. The sound is great right now. Oh, okay. Then we're good. Um, and as far as uh, uh, passwords go, just use password and substitute the A for a four and the S's for fives. That's my password on all of my, like my bank account and oh, everything. Don't vocalize that. People oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'll have to, I'm just kidding. It's not really, I got to remember to change that. Um, oh, hey, my, my daughter's here. She's staying over uh, oh. with me for a while and I love it. It's a super blessing. And uh, awesome. she has a puppy with her too. I always have a dog with me these days and her puppy is learning how to be a police dog. No way. Yeah. So, and right now it's a German shepherd. Okay. Um, so I've had to learn German, which is 
challenge. Um, but sleeping right now under the table, at some point it may demand some attention and we may have to take a break, but we'll see. That would be fine. My, my mom is in charge of Daisy right now. Yeah, so right on. Yeah, it's been... She demands a lot of attention. Yeah. She takes the village. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's good to have village. that. Yeah. No, yeah, okay. We'll see. <laughs> we're, want... we're working on each other. Yeah. yeah. Well, and dogs are such great, I mean, amazing as this is what I'm gonna read. So now that we're okay. we're into the interview. Oh, by the way, this yeah. is all part of the interview. Uh, <laughs> what we started. But um what I have just read is mm -hmm. one of your blogs about Sophie. Okay. Which is just, it just brought me to tears and I will have already shared that. And okay. uh, so anyways, you well know the incredible magic of dogs as like yes. a human companion. We, um, when she had passed? Was that yeah. the one you read? Uh, yeah. And there were a couple, um, but it the was specifically the one with the blue stool. Oh, yeah. Back, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's rough. Holy <laughs> shit. It's, it's it so rough. beautiful. And you, you are, oh, I, I read in full, I think less than 10, more than five of your, of your blogs. Mm -hmm. um, and I started reading some of them twice and then I had, I realized, oh wait, I've read this. And one of them was, I think you had reposted it in a slightly different version or something. Cause I think I read some of it again, yes. but it was still the text was a bit different, but you are such an, just such a sweet deeply personally touching accessible relatable like emotionally on point raw honest beautiful writer it just comes through oh thank you it feels like i don't such feel a like that voice. very often. Um, i don't feel like that so it's nice to hear that you know you start comparing especially in this internet world of likes and you know i'm not a marketing genius and all of that so yeah that, that, that and do you know that poem the desiderata no max uh ehrman i'll send it to you and i encourage everyone to to, to check it out max ehrman i hope i'm right on that uh you know what i'll, I'll put it in the description desiderata by max ehrman but there's a line in there that says like um, do not compare yourself to others, you know, for always there will be those that like are better than you and and Yeah, it, it, it takes you have to remind yourself of that. It's not about fame. It's about doing What you are doing and you well, are doing you. it and it's beautiful. Oh, well, I need I need to get back to doing it, which uh, has been a struggle. I have just not found the voice yet and also interesting enough it's been um switching having to switch computers um and that's i i feel like it's uh a musician if you love to type which i do i mean i'm such a nerd i took typing well <laughs> and, uh, we all did <laughs> did you did take you do it, it in the summer <laughs> and by, no. all right. by, by choice <laughs> but um you know i'm gonna i i started going back to my old computer even though there's a lot of hitches of trying to get photos or something because things won't airdrop and it won't talk to this or that but yeah. the new way that the computer is i have to it makes me stop and think so then i start editing 
because I'm doing too many typos. And yeah, like I said, it's like a musician. You get used to your guitar or your piano or something. That's how typing is. So it's, it was amazing what a block that was that I didn't anticipate. When I first uh, moved to Sweden in 2012 and was trying out my, my job, um, they have like a trial period before they hire you. Uh, I was issued a laptop and, you know, I had to learn to be able to type some Swedish, though I sucked at it then nearly as, uh, as much as I suck at it now. I hope I've improved ever so slightly. Um, but the, the laptop I was given had an Italian keyboard. So not only were the letters in a different place, but I had to find the special ones that were Swedish and they had, and like, Good Lord, you know, that, that's a, lot. That's, yeah, a lot. that's a wrench in your spokes for sure. Um, and I'm just compelled to share something which is visual that my daughter just showed me. I think it's great. And uh, it, it's, it's for those that are uh, physically um, superior, which I am not. Uh, I think very few people must be able to do this easily. So for those of you who can't, see us right now, which is everyone except for Heather and I at the moment, what you do is you, you put your hands in front of you and you give the thumbs up. Try that. Okay. All right. Two thumbs up and then put one thumb down and point Left at the other right. hand. Doesn't matter. And then point at, extend your finger. Yeah. So right now you've got one thumb up and the other hand is pointing at the hand with the thumb up. Now switch them. And then switch back. Oh, I did it. And oh. it's really difficult. It yeah, is and really I end up pointing at both of my fingers eventually. Okay, total diversion. Oh, your but daughter I, is an excellent uh, addition. Totally. I love that stuff. Um, and I'm thrilled that she just taught it to me like that. How did you even, anyways? Um, all right, so I wanted to start this uh, by dropping down into the perfect. Moment. So we'll do that a bit right now. Okay. It's just, it's kind of like jazz. I'm just going to riff. Um, but starts with the breath and being aware of the breath and just relaxing. Just taking a breath and feeling it. And I'm just talking out loud. Cause if I just do this in my head, it's extremely boring as a podcast. But if you have your own way of doing it, just no, I don't do it that way. So yeah, just breathing and just sitting and feeling. I'm feeling that I'm sitting right now. I, I'm aware of the you know the sort of construction of of my body, the the architecture of bones as they're sitting on. Right now, I'm sitting on this couch and I've got a cushion under my butt and I, I just put my hands down on my knees and I'm aware of that. I feel the backs of my hands as they rest on the, the skin of my knees. I'm wearing shorts, by the way. I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt on top and shorts on the bottom because it's warm in here. So it's a Zoom, it's a Zoom protocol, I think. Okay. Matching top and bottom. Uh, but even as I say that, I'm, I'm just aware of that. And it's the breath and it's being. I feel myself in my body and I always, the sensation, the closest I can summarize it is it's kind of like an old fashioned water bottle that you'd fill with hot water, like a rubber kind of 
water bottle that you'd stick maybe at the foot of your bed. I just feel like myself fills my body, my vessel, like this warm water in this soft water bottle. It feels that way because it has this density and it has this warmth, but it has the softness too. And it sort of fills the space that my body is. And I feel my, my back. And if there's any, anything that feels crooked or a bit off, I just make an adjustment that's peaceful and easy. Listen to my body. What is my body telling me it wants to do at the moment and just do that. And then as we talk, I always want to stay in this. And I, as I get excited about something, my voice can become higher and I can become more animated. And at those times, I tend to leave slightly this presence, but I'm still hopefully tethered in there and can come back to it easily. And it is always from this place that I want to be talking on the podcast and and honoring this ability to have a conversation with the people I know that to me, I feel it's like a feeling. It's not a um, intellectual process I go to. It's a feeling that there is an important voice. We are all one. I believe this so fully. We are all one. And your voice is just an extension of everybody's voice, whether they have been able to tune into it or not. We all have this experience of being human, however imperfect it is. And the way that we can share that honestly and authentically enriches everybody who can listen. And so it's with honor and gratitude that I want to open this conversation and talking with you. Well, thank you. What we've known each other for a long time. Yeah. What is your earliest memory of me? Uh, my earliest memory is probably was, um, well, it's, it overlaps with your mother because yeah. she's our storyteller. Yeah. So it's sometimes hard to, was, is it a Ken memory? And your mom and my mom were, which she said, say hello to her, right were on. close. And um, her coming into the classroom and teaching us, the, you know, doing those so, such animated stories and her bouncy blonde hair. And just, yeah. uh, <laughs> I think she was our own Goldie Hawn. <laughs> like that's, uh, she, had, she had such a great spirit, but then, also, I remember, um, you know, the, the tragedy at your house. Yeah. Um, yes, when you had the fire. And, you know, especially I think back then when you didn't have access to so much information, mm-hmm. like that was a really big deal. You know, now we hear about things happening all over the country or the world where in our isolated area and... Um, just remember your mom having that gut instinct to get you guys all out and kind of the after effect of that. And, you know, I kind of just, I I don't remember specific thing, but just the kind of the heaviness after that of, oh, oh, they can't live at their home. And, you know, I remember that um, specifically. And then I don't remember much at middle school, but middle school was a a pretty downfall for me. So I was a 
Um, actually, that was right when I had first gotten sick. So it was, um, I really don't remember much of middle school. Wow. Uh, I just got through it. So. Well, that, that's where I want to, I actually want to go there with you right away, but I'll just say, I remember, I remember you, you talk about loving jeans and I remember you've always loved jeans, right? <laughs> I have I just, always loved jeans. <laughs> I remember you, I don't know what grade it was, jeans, no. <laughs> but it was Dixon, but uh, I remember you uh, with your, your like, you know, straight flaxen, dark brown, like chestnut hair and and wearing jeans and uh, <laughs> always just being kind, Heather. Oh, always, a hundred percent, all the time. I'm sure you've got other sides. I've never met them, never seen them, never heard. Oh, of you them. know, there is that Taurus in me. She can come out. <laughs> yeah, right on. But always just oh, thank reliably you. good. Yeah. Well, thanks. So, all right. If if it's cool, man, let's sure. let's enter in middle we'll school. Enter in. What was that well, experience? Well, the experience was when I first got ill was the summer of right before seventh grade. So, uh, for people who don't know, our middle school is seventh and eighth grade, and um, I, I don't know if you remember Kim Benz. Yeah, totally. Yeah. She looks yes. exactly the same. <laughs> She, I know some people have that ability and she Ooh. is yeah iconically she, Kim Benz yeah she is iconically Kim Benz so um my mom and her both loved the state fair I not so much mm -hmm. but we went to the state fair and I remember walking through it thinking there this is weird like I can't get through this place not just because I hate the state fair but I was so fatigued and then and then we went to a Packer game. They had the season game of the Packer game. And I say in one of my blogs, I remember what I was wearing because my mom felt so bad I hadn't been feeling well. She thought, oh, I'll get you a, a little outfit. It was a Bears, and, Chicago Bears. Yeah, it was Chicago Bears. Now, funny enough, it was a, a dark green uh, Ralph Lauren sweater with a little pink polo, which was a big splurge. That was the thing. Too. That that was a big splurge and Bermuda shorts, just like cool. you're wearing shorts. And our seats were pretty far up at County Stadium. And I said to my mom, I don't know if I can walk up these steps. And that was a Sunday. And the Monday they took me to our pediatrician, which ironically was my dad's pediatrician. And um, he said, you have mono. And I had none of the symptoms except for the fatigue. Um, and uh, luckily he was a very intuitive doctor because I think a lot would have missed it. I didn't have the sore throat. I just had the, the exacerbating fatigue. He did the blood draw and I had a swollen liver and spleen. So I would go in every week for liver shots. And I don't think, so that was probably mid August. Um, and we started school back then, I think before Labor Day or it was right around the first week in September. And yeah. I went straight to school, which now had started at 7.25 in the morning. Good and Lord, those were early days. <laughs> early. And I'm not a morning person, no. never. Had. I was late for kindergarten. Like, I mean, I just, uh, and <laughs> I just never, I didn't really realize how I was having horrible anxiety I had never had before. I probably was having bad blood sugar, 
sugar drops. I didn't know. I, I didn't look like a healthy kid. I looked like that definition, very, very thin, kind of ashen. But And so that was kind of just an isolated period of time. Went on with high school, struggled. But when now you've only known not being well, you don't know that you're not well. Yes. Yeah. So you don't have, I didn't really have a memory. And so, you know, progressed. And then I went to my freshman year of school was at um, University of Colorado at Boulder. And um, when I went back for my second semester, I was just constantly sick. And um, I also at the time was getting allergy injections where my arms were swelling up like baseballs and I would be, you know, the nurse would make me sit in the office for 20, you know, 12 hours until the swelling went down. Because you were allergic to food or I pollen? Had, I or? Had just pollen. And so the allergist in Wisconsin would send the injection to Boulder and, you know, of course, no one is clicking like she shouldn't have a baseball size reaction like you know, no one, yeah. again, no one's putting these pieces together. And um, I went to the, a number of the clinics there and they said, we think you have mono again. And you have, I have strep, I had strep twice in a row. And I um, said, one day I, I had to, I have a vague recollection of having to call 911. And I don't really remember what happened with that. And my cousin was, um, at Boulder. So I had that kind of safety net of having family there. And then I called my dad up and I said, I booked a flight for tomorrow. I'm dropping out of school. I don't know what's wrong. I'm coming home. And I needed to get my tonsils out. And they weren't enlarged, but the doctor said, you know, you've had strep for almost 30 days. We can't get it under control. So we've got to get the infection down and then I think we should remove your tonsils. So you, you literally did have strep. I did. Mm -hmm. And were the conditions of strep misdiagnosed as part of a second wave of mono? I, I did. I mean, mono reactivation, the more I've learned, is really hard to determine. And it's really uncommon, right? Well, no, no it's, it's not uncommon to have a reactivation of mono at all. Okay. Um, you know, it's a virus like any other virus that can kind of pop up. I mean, if you even look at it, like um, people that get shingles, that was chicken pox at right, one point. Right. You know, normally you fight it off, you fight it severely, and then it just kind of goes away. And they used to go pretty high on the titers of looking at, do you still have active, you know, you don't have active mono anymore, but you have increase of some of the antibodies. But the more they're learning is, antibody numbers vary greatly between people. And someone can have a high elevation and feel perfectly fine. Other people can have a low elevation and it can you know, bother them greatly. So there's not a huge consensus. You know, They can yeah. look at the IgG and the IgM and I'm forgetting which is which and see has that raised. And we think that you have a reactivation, but it's more based on clinical symptoms. You said, look, they would look high at the titers. So there's, um, as everyone knows now with COVID, this whole term antibodies, um, we have IgG and IgM, and I should have done some of my medical homework, but I forgot. Oh, it. no, no, no. We don't do homework <laughs> for this podcast. I, oh, I just apologize for it. <laughs> So you look at when they're looking for people with antibodies to COVID, 
it's either are they in the active state and that's why those antibodies probably help someone else well you always it's almost like a memory your body remembers these things they remember these viruses and the memory is what you hope that eventually if you get it again kicks in okay so once you've had something like mono the memory of it stays with you and so if your body is depleted does it kick up again Okay. Does it kind of re reactivate itself? So I had that simultaneously with a chronic strep infection. And when I went to get my tonsils out at 19 at Children's Hospital, which is quite embarrassing, <laughs> but um, what the doctor found was I had always had very small tonsils. I had what was called uh, the stalk, which your tonsils hang on these little stalks that you mm -hmm. can't see. One of them had a loop in it. So he said, what we think happened is in that loop of your tonsil, you had a recirculating chronic infection that could never get cleared. For so years. So probably since mono at 11. So when my tonsil, when, after the recovery of the tonsils, uh, which is about, it took at least two weeks. I mean, it's pretty painful at 19 that your tonsils out. Um, at all of a sudden I started feeling like a completely different person mentally, emotionally. It, it was like, oh my God, I've been sick since 10 and I didn't know it. And the biggest thing was exercise. I had never been able to, I never had gained, gained muscle mass and I had never had that opportunity of Oh, you exercise and the more you exercise the more you can exercise the next day and you know that building experience sure i had really not experienced that in for any modern memory and all of a sudden i'm like oh i can run a little today and then i can run more the next day and it just was this completely physically i transformed i had dealt with a ton of anxiety panic attacks prior to that, those were gone, just disappeared. Um, From on getting occasion, your tonsils I, out. Mm -hmm. So that's I, really, I'm just taking was, that in. That's really phenomenal. It, it, it was, it was just, um, it was just an unbelievable experience. Cause I was like, wow, you know, then you start thinking back and no one had ever thought, well, you had never recovered from yeah. mono. And what you really did have was chronic fatigue all those years, but being young, you can persevere through more. But if you know you look at pictures, you can just, the, the transformation is just unbelievable. I was still very thin, but I had muscle tone that I had never had before. And, wow. you know, and so it was just, um, it was, I always say I took such advantage of that time frame in my life because it was, like, I can't believe this, like yeah. everything's so much easier. And ex I would say the biggest also thing was the anxiety. Now I always still, I mean, you've met my father. <laughs> we have an anxious family. We, we are, you know, we are worriers, we are planners, but I always had said anxiety was a very motivating factor. It, because, and that's why I went even to Boulder. I didn't really feel well. It wasn't my first choice, but I was so afraid if I didn't go, what would that mean? And so anxiety was an incredibly useful tool. And what, 
what it started becoming though is more debilitating but after i got my tonsils out it came back as this kind of useful little whisper like no you know that's that's just your nerves so you're going to do it anyways although i've always been claustrophobic so i don't really like uh, big crowds but i would do them and you know fine but you know i traveled extensively by myself um just everything was easy uh, everything was easy so the way that so, you used your experience with continuous anxiety between the ages of like 11 and early 20s yes that was, was terrific was and and then you had your tonsils out and then the along with the physical changes that followed that the anxiety the the mental emotional change accompanied it and, but then if anxiety would come back in, you would use it as like a reminder that like, if you did that, you can do this. Like it's. Yes. And, right? and it was, but it was also, um, I would say the anxiety prior, you know, anyone who has had a panic attack, it's a wave and you know, you can get through the wave, yeah. you kind of ride it, you breathe through it. You use these techniques it's really unpleasant and then it goes away. The anxiety I kind of had had while I was not physically well was an omnipresent situation. Mm -hmm. The techniques didn't really work. It was just a constant struggle of um, low grade always. And when I was in Boulder, um, I had a psychiatrist back in Wisconsin who, um, to this day, I cannot stand. And um, he. What's his name? So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know him. Um, and uh, ironically, I had a kind of a, a talk about things coming to full circle. He ended up treating my grandmother at Elmbrook Hospital, um, who went in because she knew she was having she was seeing things and she called me and said, I don't know what's wrong. My parents were out of town and my sister and I took her to Elmbrook and it most likely was her blood sugar. Um, and they, this same psychiatrist put her on an anti uh, psychotic, which then she got completely psychotic. And um, long story short, we kind of snuck her out of the hospital and after we heard him say against my father's wishes, who was the um, power of attorney, do not give her Seroquel. It's not working. She's seen people coming out. She doesn't know anymore that she's losing it where before she was telling us something's wrong. Yeah. And sure enough, he, we heard him say to the nurse, if she acts up, give her Seroquel. And so the next day we discharged her and she went back to her um, assisted living and they got her blood sugar under control and she was perfectly fine. So I, then I made a nice complaint on him, but I was on heavy hitting Xanax um, in at Boulder because the anxiety was so bad before I got my tonsils out. So, um, which was, a, was, did make me able to function. But I found out later when I looked at my records, I was on two milligrams three times a day. Wow. Is, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of Xanax, but I functioned. So that shows you how wow. high the adrenaline yeah. was that, that I wasn't sleeping all day. I was uh, functioning. So yeah, 
I think that that's helped me in this illness or if I talk to other people and I see it on the message boards a lot, like I've never dealt with anxiety before this illness. And, you know, a lot of people have talked about how it feels very different than traditional anxiety. Um, it, it's just doesn't have, it's more of a, I'd say it's more of a physiological irritation of your system versus just this brain situation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're all intertwined, but you know, sure. people get very into mind body, but sometimes they forget there's also body mind. It goes mm -hmm. both ways. Yeah. I, uh, I've, uh, I mean, we talked a bit earlier about, you know, my interest in reading your blog was accelerated from my recent experience uh, over the past two years with this, this illness of it's also fatigue related, um, but at a shorter burn time. Okay. Um, but, uh, and I'm, I'm coming out of it, but like so painstakingly slowly. In fact, I have a meeting next week with the insurance company and they're expecting me to like double my, my working time. And like, I'm totally willing to, like, I have all the spirit to be like, yes, like, let's do this. Like, let's get the right. fuck over this. Um, right. But I also know when I do become exhausted, it is like sort of a mechanical shutdown of the brain and the functioning and the ability to plan and make right decisions. And I do stupid things and can't think right. And it's, I feel like I almost get tunnel vision. My brain becomes small. That can happen in a, I can be in a happy mood and that happens. Then I just feel yes. like I'm a golden retriever. I'm stupid, but happy, but it still happens. Okay. Um, but it can also feel totally defeating too. Like, God damn it. Like, you know, I want to feel like I used to feel. Um, right. And, and so I say that because it definitely does feel different than other times when I've been stressed or overwhelmed or fatigued yes. it is a, of a different quality. And it feels much more like physical components of the mechanisms of the mind and brain and, and how the whole system works mm -hmm. are failing yeah. in a cascading yeah. way. Yes. And it is, unless you've, I think unless you've, I have this unusual perspective now, which when I first got diet, well, came to understand that I had this ME, which used to be called chronic fatigue syndrome, and now is called myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is a inflammation. I know I'm tough. I struggle to with the E one. It, it's tough, and and even in the U.S., they're still really not using it, um, but it's a it's a push. For a while, they were going to call it neuroendocrine immune disorder, which to me was the most fitting because it hits all of those boxes. And that to me was very encompassing, but um, you know, it's the, the brain inflammation and there's even of course arguments between chronic fatigue people and ME, well, you don't have this if you have that. And I stay away from all of that. It doesn't matter to me, but um, it is, I now, once I, I didn't connect my early illness with the fact of my second illness until years into it when the internet opened up and I started reading other people's stories. It was interesting that I even had a disconnect that I didn't put these two things together. Like, oh, you've lived this syndrome twice in your life. This is the second phase. Um, the frustrating part is, you know, what was the turnkey? And I, I, I still, I mean, I know some of it, but like you said, you start pushing through. Um, you know, so which I is not, 
it's not always a good thing to do. No. And, you know, and it's so ingrained in us to push through and, you know, the ME community is really trying to reach out to people with post COVID quote long haulers saying, listen, listen, because that is your best set. Your best predictor of success is immediately listening to your body. Yes. Listen to your body. And if it says slow down, Slow down. Slow down. Yeah. And the problem is most people who have this now, I mean, I always say a decade and then I think back, I'm like, oh my God, no, it's been like 15 years. Has it been 18? Like it's, it's very hard because it's been in different stages because I think when I first started getting ill again, a lot of it had a lot of excuses. Well, you know, I had moved from my safe haven of Milwaukee that I loved to kind of just pick up and go to Phoenix um, to go to the naturopathic medical school, a city I had really did not like, had never been there except for the interview. I picked it only because the other two naturopathic schools were in Seattle and Portland, which I had visited, but I had so many weddings to attend that first year that I thought, how am I going to get from Seattle or Portland without a direct f- flight for a weekend. You know, where are we on the timeline here? So this is like nine. So I was at UWM until nineteen. Graduated in December of ninety four, and then I took some time off and worked for Public Allies, which was um, yeah, Public Allies. I was a volunteer there, and I did economic development at Midtown Neighborhood Association, right which on. I just loved i i loved that job um and but that's where i got really interested in health because i was working in an inner city and even though my job was economic development our place at midtown was also a community center yeah so i'm seeing all these children and i'm like all these children are way sicker than the kids i grew up with you know and i'm help trying to help the businesses and there's you know, one grocery store, if you can call it that. And I'm looking at the Milwaukee County food that these kids are given and, you know, understanding now that asthma in the inner city is related to rat droppings. And, you know, I, I, so that's when I started getting really interested into, you know, complementary medicine, like, and also it hadn't worked for me either. Uh, When I talked earlier about having all those reactions with my allergy shots, when I came back um, to Wisconsin, um, I went to the allergist and they said, oh, that's, they retested my whole back with those back scratch and all of my allergies had gotten worse after seven years of injections. And even at 18, 19, it's like, well, isn't that the reverse of what's supposed to happen? And their answer was to reformulate and start injecting all over and Luckily, I had a good friend who saw, he wasn't a licensed naturopath, but he was a very brilliant guy. And I started working with him and he was like, no, we just need to build you up. That's it. And um, so I kind of had that experience personally that the traditional med- medical world and my body were not uh, very copacetic. So that's when I got interested in the entire field and um, how I ended up in Arizona was partly because of a breakup. Um, I was all set to go to Baltimore with, um, I had been dating on and off um, a med student there. 
at UWM or at the medical college. And he got his residency at John Hopkins. And um, we were always on and off. And he had asked me to come with him. And I was always up for an adventure. And at the time, I had gone back for, back for my, I got my massage therapy degree because I figured I had to go back and do all my pre-med prerequisites because I was a psych African-American studies major. I didn't have any pre-med prerequisites. So I just want to say of all the, I think you've mentioned like five points of education you've had. <laughs> they're all like so cool. Like you're building oh, such a cool portfolio of under and f that complement your own direct experience too. So it's like well, yeah, it's true. such a great bouquet of, of understanding. And yeah, and, it, it, you know, it is interesting. I mean, I will say that the silver lining of leaving Boulder, it was never a place for me. I mean, I'm glad I went there. It was it, it beautiful, but UWM was my home. Like, I thought I was going to transfer to Madison. That was my whole goal. Like, oh, I'm not going to UWM. And if you live in Milwaukee, you know, Madison is the, you know, the premier, the football school. But I had been so sick, I, my GPA had dropped. So I couldn't get my backup school I no longer could get into. And the counselor said, oh, well, just go to a semester at UWM, get a 3.0, you're in. Well, I went to UWM and I was like, I love this place. Mm -hmm. I, like yeah. this is, I'm a city, I'm a city girl. I'm not a typical college girl, like the sorority, the, you know, it, it just wasn't me. It wasn't comfortable. I love visiting my friends there, but living on the East side and uh, the classes, like you've mentioned, you know, we both took that same class. Um, you always remember his name. I don't, John Boatman. Uh, John Boatman and you know you know the people were interesting it was just it was just a wonderful place to be I think it's such an underrated school so um, that was a big silver lining of you know I would have made, probably just stayed at Boulder and it was just not the place for me but um, yeah so that kind of led me to meet the people and one day decide to volunteer public allies. And then I did that. And, you know, like you said, that kind of led to interest in, you know, this health disparity and economics. And so I did the massage therapy degree while I was doing my prerequisites. And then my ex had said, well, you know, we had broken up quite dramatically as always. And, um, he we were at a Willie Porter concert and he was there, I was there and he changed his mind and was like, I'm, I'm done. This is what I want. And I'm like, don't do this. If you're going to change your mind, please. Like we've done this before. I, I can't take it again. Nope. I want to start our life. And um, right as the time was supposed to happen said, I, I can't do this. Like, and I went out to Baltimore for 10 days and was like, are you sure? And he's like, no, I, I just, it's over. And um so I say the best things about that is I ended up in France for six weeks on a, <laughs> I went on a exchange program and then I was like, well, now what am I going to do? I guess I'm going to go to pursue this naturopathic medical thing, which at the time I actually thought was a joke. I didn't, I didn't know it was real medical school. I thought it was kind of, you know, I'd done massage therapy school. Like I thought it was going to be more out there, I guess. What drew you to it? Well, I mean, it, I was you say you thought it was a joke, but well, not, not disparagingly. I, you know, I, yeah. I guess I didn't think it was real medical school. I was a snob. Sure. I was like, sure. you know, I was kind of a snob. And I thought, well, 
I looked at the curriculum and I thought, oh, this is interesting. Herbs, homeopathy, a lot of stuff I had been exposed to. Um, but I didn't, it didn't register to me that I was going to medical school. Um, I think because you didn't have to take the MCATs to get in. So, you know, in our culture, you know, the MCATs are the yeah. way you get in med school and that's not a requirement. Um, the curriculum is all set up for primary care. So you don't have to do rotations in hospitals because the degree in Arizona, the license is the exact same as a primary care doctor without hospital rights because we don't rotate through hospitals. But I got in there and I was like, holy moly, I am in over my head. <laughs> like, I had never had to study in my life. Like, all my classes were pretty easy, but I didn't get like, oh no, you're like, you're studying 10 hours a day and it's not enough. It's, there's never enough time. Yeah. You know, there is, and I think that's also blocked. It's interesting because I'll read a lot of people with my illness that write about medicine and treatments and one of my favorite blogs she has no medical degree and it's almost i get a little envious because when you don't have the degree there's almost a freedom there to give advice that that is true that that that's definitely the upside of not knowing what you know yes and when you know what you know you take it so much more seriously and i just so it's been kind of, that's was an interesting dilemma, but. I would rephrase that to say, it's like, you think you know what you know, when you yes. know what you know. Exactly, you think. And you know, some of these people are great because they're laser focused just on this illness. And it's, um, my mind starts wandering to other things. And so I've never really written about treatments and I've never been called to do that. Um, I always say, did I go to med school to, find out how to get well, like, because that's how it served me. Um, or, you know, sometimes I curse the ground my ex walks on thinking, what would my life look like if I had gone to Baltimore? <laughs> like, would I not be oh, in this disastrous mess I've got into? So um, it happened very slowly this time, which was the difference in Arizona. It was I don't feel that great or, and I did find out our, a few years ago that the building we were in had mold, which they just found out when they did a renovation. Black which mold I, or some other kind of mold? Probably I, not black mold. I don't know. Well, oddly, oddly, my um, townhome in Arizona ended up having mold. Mold is actually a really big issue in Arizona, which people don't think of because it's not so damp. It's arid, but what, yeah. but what happens is if there is, like in my case, the roof had a leak that got sealed and then in the ceiling, you get some dampness and then it goes dormant. And if there's not a constant water source, then when the monsoons come, it grows a little more and it grows a little more. Uh -huh. So it's not that, if it's not a constant water source, it's not that like, what you see of that horrible black mold. But um, my doctor had asked me, cause I had stopped making progress, get your te place tested for mold. And I'm like, you're nuts. I gutted this entire place. There is no mold here. And sure enough, um, in my master bedroom closet, um, they opened it up 
and I needed remediation, couldn't be in the place. I ended up staying in Wisconsin because they had to do the whole shebang, which um, again, but like I said, in Phoenix, everything happened was very, I was able to justify it all. Well, of course you're tired, it's 110 degrees out. Of course you're tired, you're studying too much. Of, you know, but I would look at things and be like, why can all my classmates handle this and I have to constantly rest? Or I have to take mini breaks. Oh, yeah, this is the little puppy. puppy. I just oh. knocked over a, a bag of yarn and it woke her up and she came over to me. So, and she's crying. <laughs> so sweet. They're so much work, but they're so sweet. I've been, uh, I've <laughs> certainly girl. been paranoid. Not yet. She's all right at the okay. moment. I've been paranoid about mold before, which made me look up black mold and it was like discovered in a Polish flat some time ago and it's not as common as i feared it was but it's like nasty stuff but any kind of mold like to to think of your general atmosphere and your home environment as having like these spores around that you know can absolutely affect your own well and again i mean i do thank my doctor and so i mean it would like i said i sometimes a lot of people know the exact date oh this is the date that I got not well, and mm -hmm. I don't really know. I, I, I remember that what, like what we all do is I kept um, modifying things. And so like when we were entering our clinic phase where we did half school and half at the clinic, I, the person at the registrar's office, I said, can you not put me on any morning shifts? I don't know what's wrong. I can't, I, I can't, get, I can't get up at, I won't be able to do an eight to noon. I, I just won't be able to do it. And, they were like, of course, Heather, we'll put you in the afternoon, evening. And again, you're not like, you know, I used to get up at UWM and walk to, in the winter yeah, right. for, you know, like yes. you don't, you're not clicking these things. Mm -hmm. And then as I've written about the most, my, my good friend and I used to walk this Biltmore Circle, which has these beautiful homes. And we both lived close and we would meet in the parking lot and we'd do this walk and we've been doing it for years. And when I got in my car, I'd be shaking after it. And, I was, and I'd go home, I'd take a nap, and I'd think, well, again, workload is heavy, you know, all these excuses. And then the one time we did it, and my legs wouldn't work anymore. Um, and we had gone off of the circle, and there's a canal that we, you could take. And so we added the canal, but because we added the canal, there was nowhere for someone to pick me up because we were off of the street. And my good friend Sandy at the time said, well, and she, she is from South, uh, South Africa, she has a beautiful Brit accent. And she's like, that's okay, darling, that's okay. We'll just, just keep sitting. So I would walk about five steps and I would sit. And then I'd walk more and I'd sit. And then that is kind of where just things started uh, unraveling. Mm -hmm. But it How was- you at this point? So I was probably, I was trying to think of that. I was probably, I entered, I moved to Arizona in September of 99. And I think it was about two years into school. So I think I was like right around 31, 32. I'm 48 now. Um, but I still, but I would think I was running on a lot of adrenaline, so I could kind of rest and then do things. But then I started 
I modified my school schedule. Like I'm going to take, I took six years to complete it versus the four. I, you know, and again, and I, I'd go to doctors and we can't find anything wrong. We can't find anything wrong. And then it got to the point, um, I moved to Napa with my ex, second ex, and um, I was trying to get a job and I, I wasn't going to try to set up a medical practice. I didn't know how long we were going to be in Napa. And I started working as a receptionist at one of the spas there. And the training, you had to stand behind a desk. And I, I was, I couldn't do it. I said, can you have a chair? And they said, no, only if you're pregnant. And I remember going out in the car and calling my dad and I said, dad, I don't know what's wrong. I can't, I can't stand. And my dad, of course, well, honey, just quit the job. I'm like, Missed the point, missed the point, can't, right. can't stand. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not too worried about this 14 hour an hour job. I've got um, the solution. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the solution is easy, you know? And so the next job I found was at this really great place and I had a great manager called Rose, who it was Pharmaca. It was a combination of like a supplement store and also a pharmacy. Okay. Uh, so, I said to her, look, I don't know what's going on right now. I can't stand for very long periods of time. I might need to take a lot of breaks. I can only work four hour shifts. No problem, no problem, well, you can do that. Um, and then, and at the time I was also about 99 pounds, which was a huge issue. And I'm 5'7". And um, it all gets a little jumbled of my first foray as I went to Mayo Clinic. Like something is really, really wrong. Like. And that was an absolute disaster. And Mayo is actually finally this year took off graded exercise therapy as a treatment for chronic fatigue. They are known to be horrible with this illness, which unfortunately in our brain in America, Mayo Clinic is you're going to the premier creme to the, the creme. Yeah. Creme to right. the creme. And the biggest problem is I didn't get into as many specialists as I could have. Well, I, I couldn't get into enough. So I just had primary care and psych. Those were the two appointments I had. And the determination was I must be anxious. And that's why I'm so thin. And I'm like. That sucks, Heather. Yes, it, it, it really does. Uh, I said they took enough blood for me that I, I passed out. Um, and uh, again, this is the. the problem with primary or traditional medicine is all you had to look at me is you'd know I was hyperthyroid. I was heart palpitations, intolerance to heat, excessive weight loss in a short period of time. I joked that my boyfriend at the time had gained two pant sizes while I was like, you know, eating three, four thousand. I mean, I could put down two burgers and a milkshake and, you know, luckily I didn't have all my food allergies then because I was just, I, I couldn't I, I, and the psychiatrist said, well, you seem very anxious. I said, I'm anxious because I'm 99 pounds. Like right. th this is quite alarming. Like, I don't know what to do. And I was even diagnosed with medical anorexia, uh, muscle wasting. But again, it was kind of like, good luck, you know, that's that's just and so then that's when you start thinking well i'm crazy like but, so this is the problem of thinking you know what you know because then you end up with a certain 
uh, finite amount of boxes that are fixed in space and shape and size. And whatever your problem is, it must fit into one of these boxes, that even is though exactly there correct. isn't a box for it yet. Yes. They haven't found and, it yet. Yeah. Well, and the biggest issue hurdle I had with having a history of anxiety, um, that is where everything goes. We right. can't describe it. And I kept saying, I'm not anxious. I'm anxious because I'm don't know what's going on with myself yeah and um a lot of you know now i know and so then i came back to wisconsin and um a friend of ours knew the best endocrinologist that i went to see and my mom was with me and he said well are you sure you're not anorexic and after we i said what anorexic walks into an endocrinologist's office saying i I'm worried about my weight. I mean, it, it doesn't even fit the profile. Right, I said, right. <laughs> I go, I like that, that. Well, if I was, I'm not now. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. it just, and I and he said, or bulimic. And then everyone laughed because I have a major phobia of vomiting. Like uh -huh. it's so well documented. I've never drank enough to get sick. I mean, it, it's, and so that was just kind of laughable. But, you know, the best, the only thing he said to me, well, why don't you do a glucose monitor? So that was, the first kind of start of like, okay, I've got something here. And I had what was called um, reactive hypoglycemia. So it's almost reverse diabetic, where when I would eat, my body would put out too much. So after a meal, I'd get these rapid blood sugar drops. It would put out too much insulin. Yes. So, with, so it would kind of suck all the sugar away and I would eat a meal pretty balanced meal and then after it my blood sugar could be down to 50. So like a minus caloric intake every time yes. you ate. So every time we ate. Yeah. So we're doing all of this. Some people are believing me, others aren't. I'm stuck trying to study for my boards, which I had not passed yet and I had taken twice because of course I'm not gonna stop the whole medical degree thing even though I can barely function. Um, I have no home. I'm half living in California, living with my sister and her husband, bopping around, trying to find doctors. And again, with the whole, which I say, the naturopathic thing at the time was not, I mean, you have to think I went to naturopathic school and, you know, nearly 20 years ago. So everything that everyone talks about now, I'm like, yeah, I know I was talking about this 20 years ago and everyone thought it was, you know, a joke. But at the time, no, everyone thought I was too sick to see a naturopath. That was kind of the family consensus. Like, we need to go to Mayo, we need to go to Freighter Hospital, we need, we need the best. And I finally was like, I'm going back to Arizona and I'm going to find my original doctor, who actually I still have today, okay. who was one of my teachers. And she had done this UV blood treatment um, which is an old school treatment. And I used to joke at clinic saying, God, you got to be really desperate if you're going to do that because it looked miserable. <laughs> Your blood gets taken out, goes through a UV filter, and then it gets hyperoxygenated. It's almost like blood doping and then gets put back into you. But when I saw her for the first time, and maybe that helped too, she had a frame of reference of knowing me before the decline. She said, do you have any idea how sick you are? And it was like, oh my God, 
thank you. Like I, I just nearly right. broke. It was like not frightening, it, but comforting to hear. That. It was the most comforting thing I'd ever heard. And she's like, this is going to take a really long time. And she started doing the right tests. You know, we found out I had an acute cytomegalia virus infection. Um, we found out I had a chronic strep back again. We found out I had high staph titers, you know, all, all, all three simultaneous. And no one had thought to, you know, you don't know what you don't test. And no yeah. one had yeah. thought to test any of that. So, um, and, the, you know, again, it's just, it's been such a process that when I, I said, I went back and looked at my old the blog and I was like I started that in 2008 I believe but in the winter so almost 2009 and it was enlightening and depressing at the same time because I thought I really have I I've improved in some ways since then because I'm more um stable as far as within my head my acceptance my body but I have less I have far less freedoms than I had back then mm -hmm. because I, back then I was still running on the adrenaline rush and I've tried when I was reading it, I was like, try not to get depressed because perhaps if you hadn't done what you would had done, you would be completely bedridden. You'd be someone that could not shower on their own. You could not, you know, do I drive anymore? No. Do I do any of my own meals? No. Do I, you know, a big thing is if I vacuum, I'm thrilled, like, oh, I vacuumed today, you know, sure. but yeah. um, so it's kind of like yesterday, I had an amazing day. Like I said, I felt better since I felt in March. And I, I just kept thinking, oh God, I took a shower. Okay. I can blow dry my hair. Like, and then wait, like, it's like, everything was so easy. And I'm like, I haven't had a day like this in six, seven months. And you don't even realize it's kind of going back to being a kid again. You don't realize how hard everything is until it magically disappears. And I didn't do anything different the night before. Yeah. I didn't get better rest. I didn't. And I've always described it as almost a light switch. Like some days just a switch goes off and things are easier. And yet then this morning it was starting all over. Like yesterday yeah. had no I think that's what's kind of such a an odd thing with this illness for people who've had it for so long is the lack of we're used to like a bell curve and you kind of either get better slowly get better 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 and you stay there or you have a you know maybe a cancer diagnosis where you fight 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 and then you don't make it so on the good days, when when things seem sort of back to normal or, you know, like feel like they're more where they should be um, and mm -hmm. you have more energy and you can do more things without even really thinking about it, mm -hmm. even after you have had this illness for a long enough time to know it's, you know, it's here, it's, it's, that's more of the normal than, you know, what I'm saying is, oh, you feel back to normal when you have those good days, I'm asking for a friend, well, I'm, cause it's me. Um, when I have those good days or sometimes it's a good morning, I'll wake up and I'll feel like my old self. Like, I feel like I have my old brain back, you know, and like yes. multiple neurons are firing instead of like the two that sort of do a relay race throughout the day. And, um, 
I'll expect that now I'm better. Like there's some expectation that now this is going to last. Like this is cool. I was, it's almost like I've never even been sick. Does Mm -hmm. that still happen to you? Is that ever accompany those Um, higher energy? It used to happen. Mm -hmm. When I first started getting the treatments that seemed to really make the difference, which was the blood treatment, I really had that like, wow, this is going to work. Like we've got this, we're making slow and steady progress. Um, Now when it happens, which again has been since March, very rare, I, I don't, I don't dwell on, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but I don't anticipate that it will. Uh The, what the reverse, it's almost a reverse where my mornings are always my worst historically. Um, And my evenings sometimes, and especially I often say, I hate to go to bed Mm -hmm. because I'll start maybe having this window where I start feeling better and it's seven, eight, nine, and then I get kind of like almost like a kid wired. Momentum, yeah. Momentum, and I will be so tired, but I'm like, I don't want to go to bed because yeah. I know it's gonna. I, 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 I'm. I, I don't want to do it again tomorrow, and mm. that's what almost gets me more is when I wake up and it's not gone, like how could I have felt good last night? And that is one of the indications of this illness is unrefreshed sleep. So, you know, when people say, Oh, uh, I'm so tired too. And it's like, no, it's not. I know. (laughs) You know, uh, unrefreshed. I mean, some of the, the big tenants is unrefreshed sleep. So it doesn't matter. I mean, sometimes I have to sleep. I mean, it's, it's not an option. What's your average sleep per night? Um, Per night, I'd say I normally, I'm a night owl, which I'm trying better not to be. And part of that is I blame Stephanie Sutton, who's one of my best friends and works night. Stephanie. Yeah. Stephanie. So I, I, one of my doctors that I quote cheated on um, told me I needed to break up um, because <laughs> she, <laughs> being a newscaster at night, will call me. And I said, I love and aware of the different time zone, but she'll call me on her way home from work and she's wired at, you know, 11. And then I'm just happy to talk to someone. And so then it's like one and we're both like, I'm, and I'm like, I'm probably not better because of you. I'm like, we can just uh-huh. boil it down to I'm probably not better because of you. Um, I normally still get like, I have to get 10 hours, okay. you know, I normally wake up like around seven and I'll fall back asleep. And, you know, nine 30 is when I start kind of getting up and I always have help in the morning, which now with COVID is just my mom, which, um, and one this week on Monday, I said, you know, why don't I try to see if I can do my juice and then coffee and then I'll call you because you're five minutes away and just doing those things I ended up sleeping for three hours in the afternoon Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. was just enough off of the schedule and up and down too often that I always say this illness is almost like having an iPhone or any phone that the battery dies too quickly Mm -hmm. and you're trying to close all the screens like that's a really good metaphor, actually. Um, and I've had an iPhone, so I know how shitty batteries can be. Yes. Um, I, 
Well, there's two things that this reminds me of. One is when I asked about, you know, when you have a good day, do you feel like you're going to be normal again? And that reminded me that actually is what you said uh, or, or my version of it or what it is to me is that part of not expecting that and then being disappointed by not having it is accepting that, all right, like, okay, I'm not there. I do have this thing that I don't want to have that I want to shrug off and say, I'm over it. I'm done with it. Oh, that's not it. This is how I am. Like, and I know it's like, Lord, I know it now. It's been a little over two years. Okay. And it's, it's been getting steadily better. But like I said, it just feels like glacial speed and I just have to accept it. And that's okay. Like that's, this like the biggest thing to get over, but it's so relative. Like I just yeah. need to accept this is where I'm at. That's you know, and like the good day yesterday, um, I know, well, especially because of COVID, I said COVID has actually been incredibly difficult, which I didn't anticipate it because I'm isolated so much of the time anyways and mainly homebound. Mm. So I didn't anticipate it affecting me as much as it has affected other people. Same and here. I felt like the whole world suddenly joined my world. They did, you know. Like, oh, everyone's and, having to stay home now and like they're all. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, oh yeah. And I'm like, I've. And what's been interesting to me, and I've had to try to find a lot of compassion, is that people will tell me how difficult it is. And I'm like, are you kidding yeah. me? Like, and you're all in this together, and it's going to end. Yeah. So it's fascinating to me. I'll hear people, you know, and I understand how difficult it is. And I, I tell people, it's a grief. This is a grief. That's how you have to look at it. But it's only temporary. Like, you know, stop trying to fight it. Just do what you need to do because then you'll get to move on. If someone told me, stay at home for, you know, a year or six months and you'll, this will be over, whatever you say. But knowing what you know now. But knowing that's what I know now. It's like change is difficult. It's a hard pill to it, swallow. It is very mind. hard. Um, so, but I have found that I've had to work on my resentment because, you know, I'm listening to everyone. I'm going to miss a holiday. I'm going to miss this. Yeah. And I'm like, I have missed so much. I mean, yeah. in a decade, but I rarely get that. How do you handle missing that? Like, I I really don't get as much of that as people would expect. It's almost like, well, that's your situation. Of Of course you've missed it. Like, there's really a lack of empathy. There's a lack of empathy. And I think I always say sometimes maybe I do this too well. I, yeah. I, want, I wanted to adapt to all of you so that you, and I learned this from my grand, my, my grandma who I adored. She, when, like when I used to visit her and when I was in Milwaukee and she's like, honey, you don't have to come visit. I'm like, grandma, I like spending time with you. Of course. And she's like, what I want most for you is live your life. I'm fine. I lived my life. You know, I'm happy. You know, she had lost her vision and she had had a stroke and, you know, she had traveled extensively. And she's like, you know, you don't have to be responsible for me. I'm okay. You go do you. And I always thought that was such a gift. Yeah. And so I think when this happened to me, I like, I don't want you all stopping your life. That's the most insulting thing you can yeah, do. Yeah, I know. Like, please live it. But the lack of how do you do it sometimes got, gets a little 
old and I'm sure you've, it's not like having a regular illness. I don't get cards. I don't get, you know, flowers. I don't get, you can do this. It's, it's a very um, odd thing. I mean, this illness is ranked, um, I think, the bottom two of quality of life. I admire your voice in this so much. I've been, until I started to open up through doing this podcast, which sort of wasn't by design, it just happened to have to come along with it, I realized as I was doing it, I didn't really want to tell anybody at all because there's such a stigma. It's not a broken leg. It's not a, you know, whatever you can see on an x-ray. Um, and you know, there's, uh, yeah, this, this associated social stigma, like I'm feeble minded or something like this. And it's like, well, I had people say, well, no, no. Or people would say to me, well, do you have social anxiety? I said, do you remember me before? I said, I'm an extrovert stuck in an introvert illness. I've always been an extrovert. And I found that was what was interesting is people seemed to find any weakness or flaw and magnify that rather than be like, I was the person that, you know, went to Europe three times once by myself. I'm the person that flew by myself to visit you in New York and to visit you in Atlanta and to visit you and go to your wedding situation. Yeah. Did maybe I have a panic attack when we were all out till two and I probably had had it. Yes. But did I not show up? I always showed up. And so I think I had to do a real reckoning of friendships. That was the hardest thing of letting go and realizing how much of this friendship was because I was the one that showed up because all of a sudden I'm here and it's, there's a lot of crickets going on. Yeah. A lot lot of crickets. It's human nature, man. I, I, I recognize that that's the balancing act. And if I am putting a lot in somewhere. It gives the other person permission to not have to do that so much. Yes. And it's just the balance. And it's rare to find the person, those gems that know you well, that are in it with you. you know? Well, I think I always say too, which I gave a big leeway for a long time, is um, I got unwell at a very bad point in life. It was when all of my closest people were getting married, starting families, having children, which is all incredibly challenging. Mm. And I was bouncing around between Arizona, California, here. And so there was a little bit of a disconnect in the same way you decided to do the podcast. That was part of what led me to do the blog because I was so tired of people thinking, oh, I'm canceling on you. And I figured if I put this out there, it almost takes the burden off of me to constantly try to explain. You can read or you can't, and then I don't have to keep trying so hard. But, and, yeah, but it's out there. Yeah. But and it, does it feel relieving to put it out there um, and to suddenly feel like I'm, I'm I mean, in a, again, more of a glass I house? I haven't written in a while. In the beginning, it did. Um, like anything, in the beginning, it did. And that was also right around the time that... Facebook, our age got into Facebook and that was, that's what opened my eyes as far as that's when I started getting connected with Ryan Pryor who wrote Forgotten Plague and we had a screening for that and Jen Bray who 
I was filmed for her movie Unrest, which I didn't, wasn't in the cut, but the language we all use, and I've never been a big one for support groups, but one of my favorite, I'm only in one group and it's a global group. So that's fascinating too, because you're getting input of what people are doing from all across the the world and different countries treat this illness very differently and different people have different access to things but we all use this same lingo and i was like oh you sound exactly like me you sound exactly like me okay now eleven thousand people sound exactly like me and then there's another group and another and that was really what was the most relieving um because um i there was just so much disbelief and because there was so much disbelief, I and I still I still struggle with it. I still don't believe it. I mean, in my heart of hearts, there are days and I'm like, I think yesterday I look at now when you say like, oh, when you had a good day, do you think it's gonna be better? Yesterday is almost the gift to be like, you're not this is real because you didn't do anything different yesterday and you were just life was easy. And even though it was just throwing the you know, going out with my dog and chatting with my mom, where this morning, my sister stopped by to get coffee. My dad asked me about the registration for my Uh, car in Arizona. My mom's friend came over. And you're like, it's too much. It's too much. It's too much. And I'm just getting like more aggravated by the moment. And I'm just like, I'm trying so hard to be, I'm not upset with any of you, but my body is just, um, you know, hyperstimulation that's part of this illness like you can't handle a lot of noises for me yeah. smells were really bad they're better now but what about light i am okay with light i've been um light is not too bad for me i don't like anything bright like when i'm in arizona I- i'll have my shades drawn more um but smell was i mean I'm not kidding someone when I was going through help, I would tell people, you know, you can't, you know, Christine, who is my ride or die helper, she, she would buy people. Here's the Tide Free, here's the shampoo. And someone would come in and I'd be like, say something. And they're like, no, I swear I don't have anything. And then they'd be like, oh my gosh, well, yesterday I did my laundry with my friends and I think it might've had a dryer sheet. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah, if if having spidey sense of smell, what I could get a job for would be fantastic. But that has improved. I mean, that used to be debilitating because I would, you know, throw me into an asthma attack, just the slightest of sense. But um, people don't understand again, too. That's when you have to start becoming so cautious when you go somewhere, because it's not just the event. It's what is the noise level? It's what is sensory the, bombardment. Sens- it is the yeah. sensory overload. Totally. Um, so much. So, uh, you know, that that's exactly what I was talking about in like sort of denying that you have it or, or feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm better now. Like I didn't want to believe it. And that is absolutely part of why I wanted to interview you today and have this exact conversation we're having um, and also share it on my podcast openly and honestly, because 
until you are able to connect and relate to other people that have it and have that fortifying, validating experience of, of having people use the same language as you were talking, you know, yes. or, or for me, when I went to this rehab program to see like a PowerPoint presentation with all of the symptoms that I've been experiencing alone and feeling like fucking unmoored and isolated from like, and, and right. until you hear those voices, which we're sharing in part right now, you do feel um, disconnected and like, it, am I anywhere on any kind of map? And to find no. that you are and that you're not alone is such a reassuring feeling. Like, okay, like maybe yes. where I'm at, they don't recognize what it is, but I'm not alone in this. Right. And I mean, there's so many, and I think unfortunately now, I mean, fortunately now, and I think that's the silver lining possibly with COVID with having long hauler syndrome people, which is definitely ME. I mean, they don't want to admit it yet, but the majority of this has always been an illness of a post viral or infection. Mm -hmm. It's just, we've never seen it at mm -hmm. this scale. Um, sure. There's going to be a subset of people with either lung damage or, you know, they're going to, it's going to be a subset, but this isn't a been an umbrella illness forever, but you know, there might, there's finally more and more voices, but it's even frustrating because they're still trying to separate us. They're still trying to study just the long haulers. And, you know, I will watch Chris Cuomo on CNN, who I stopped watching because he was suffering from it. And he had Dr. Fauci on his show saying, you most likely have ME. And then two days later, he has a woman on who has POTS, which is um, I don't know if you have checked for that. It's um, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Oh, I, I was going to say I love pot, but no. Okay. <laughs> that, that is one thing I have not, um, I have not done yet. Which but this is, is not Colorado, so. No, well, you know, it's it interesting because, um, so I didn't know, you know, again, it, it's, it was like, there was so much I didn't know that I would found, found out from bloggers. And I'm like, could I have this? And basically... With this illness comes a lot of what's called dysautonomia. Nothing's talking to each other correctly. Um, mm. And so what POTS is, is an elevated heart rate when you stand. So it's so simple. Uh, so like I used to think, oh, I'm having a panic attack waiting in line at the grocery store. No, now that I got a heart rate monitor, I noticed that, oh, my heart rate is, you know, hitting 135 just standing. Mm -hmm. And then if I continue standing, then it's warm. It's going up to 150. And now it's going up to 170. And the second I squat down, it pummels back to kind of normal. So POTS is very frustrating. And most people with ME have it. You don't know that you have it unless you have a good doctor, that it should be one of the first rule outs because you know, it's a very easy thing to do is to wear a heart rate monitor. And like my ex and I used to get in a fight about emptying the dishwasher because he thought I could do it. And I'm like, I don't, I'm telling you, I, I don't yeah. know why I oh, exhausted. Yeah. And well, I put that heart rate monitor, the bending and standing and the bending of standing all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, look, and I was like, Oh my God, like, look, this is because I didn't feel it. I'm like, my heart rate's jumping from 140 down to, you know, 110 and then back up to 150 because of this bending, standing movement. But once I got a handle on that with the pacing, that was 
one, it was just eye-opening because you realized all these times that you think your cord, unfortunately, a lot of these autonomic nervous system disorders do mimic panic, panic attacks, you know, in excessive sure. heart rate. Sure. There's you probably know, limited ways that our brain can express distress. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, unfortunately, the treatments for POTS aren't great. You know, try to increase your, your fluid intake and salt intake. You know, my cardiologist said, well, gain four, four pounds of water weight. Well, I tried that. I felt miserable and it didn't help my POTS one, one bit. Did Some, you increase your salt intake or did he just yes. pound tons of water? I increased my salt. You, want, you need to increase your salt intake. So um, I tried that. Some people do beta blockers with good success, but they cause fatigue. So that's, you know, it, it's as my cardiologist said, no one likes treating POTS. We don't know if it's neurological. We don't know if it's cardiac. There's no good answers. You guys don't feel good. We don't have good answers. I mean, I love the guy. And you he haven't no tried POTS. Not I that I'm not an advocate for it. And even though I said no. I love it, I, I don't do it currently. And uh, it has its pluses and minuses. And I think you know, for all plant medicines, approach it with respect. None of it's just well, for fun. Like have a good time with it. Okay, fine. Get to know it. But approach it always with respect. You know, pot is always the go-to that people ask me about. And I, I've or laughed. CBD. I said, uh, yes, or CBD. Um, there's a there's a funny thing, and our good friend was sweet enough to get me some medicinal. And um, oh yeah. <laughs> now, the interesting thing is, you know, I take pot very me um, medically because I went to a school that like my board's part yeah. of it was herbs. And I'm sure now in Arizona it's going to be different now that it's been you know now it's medicinal was in Arizona and now it was just legal so. I'm very interested how my school is going to now be able to teach it. Good. But so this was not um, from all the research I had done. And again, I've always said, I'll try and I'll pretty much try anything. I mean, there's been some drugs, you know, pharmaceutical drugs I really didn't want to try, but I'm like, I kind of have a checklist like, okay, this works. The one thing that I didn't, that I was lucky that I didn't have was a lot of pain. I have very soft, like, I don't like soft touch. If I'm in a bad place, that's incredibly irritating. Like if I'm in bed and someone comes and touches my leg, like, how are you doing? I'm like, oh God, please don't touch me. Like, like that's too much. And it wasn't until March when I think I had COVID where I got actual true, fi more fibromyalgia body aches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think I'm a GABA girl because I still use Xanax, not okay. nearly as much. And when I was so thin, one of the doctors wanted me to try antidepressants to see if I could gain weight. And I said, sure, because you have to, what you learn as a patient, I said, it's called a patient for a reason. You are expected to have a great deal of it. And I was like, you can't say no to a doctor because then you're being combative and then it's your issue. So you, you always have to say yes if you want to get somewhere with certain doctors. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, sure, fine. Give me the antidepressant. And antidepressants are more serotonin drugs, which pot tends to work more on the serotonin pathway. And I was completely apathetic, absolutely numb, could not find my thoughts, 
could not find anything. And a good friend of mine, and then we tried three different ones. And the third one, Lorazep, no, um, I can't remember. It started with an L. The third one, I was at a quarter of the lowest dose. And finally, the psychiatrist was like, I think you're a hyperreactor to serotonin. Mm-hmm. And I went off it and I had told no one I was on it. And one of my good guy friends said, welcome back. <laughs> what do you mean? He's like, you've been really weird. He's like, you haven't been witty. You haven't been funny. Welcome back. And I'm like, oh, I was on these antidepressants. And I said, I know I, I felt like so just SSRIs. Uh, yes. SSRIs. Okay. Yeah. And so then when I did, because of course I've had a gazillion genetic tests and testing, um when i did my genetic testing i do not break down serotonin and it gave a list of medications i shouldn't have and the antidepressants i was on was one of them Uh so i have talked a lot in these groups so i think i tend to more i have high serotonin and tend to more of a serotonin syndrome situation where and i said i'm pretty intuitive i have the stuff sitting here if I think it would help, I have no idea why I'm not grabbing it, mm-hmm. except for, and then bless her heart, she gave me two edibles and then just regular. Cause I'm like, I don't, the anxious person in me, I'm like, I don't like waiting for something to happen. Like I had to get an MRI and I freaking had to call the lady cause I was on Valium and I hadn't been drunk or high in forever. And I was like, I think I can't breathe from the Valium lady at Walgreens. She's like, honey, I think you're just probably a little high. I'm like, oh. Oh, 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 that, oh yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, oh okay. That, Trust that's your it. intuition. Like, yeah. So, but what's interesting when you talk about mold, um, I was doing some research and UC Davis has done, did a huge study on medicinal pot and found 100% has mold. And they said anyone with, an immune disorder, AIDS, or a certain type of cancer should be careful, even though most of it's probably burned off, it could be an irritation. And I thought the smell of pot has always been repulsive to me. Mm-hmm. And I had no, I never crossed my mind that it might have mold. Interesting. So I was like, um, so yeah, I mean, is it something, you and know? Pollen. I would guess too. And yeah, exactly. And I, you know, so again, an edible might be fine, but I'm like, I don't really fit the profile. Like, and again, like I said, I'm, I respond really well to the, the, the more of the GABA drugs. And that's, what's kind of always when I've done any neurological testing, what's low on me. And that seems to make me feel more centered and grounded but like gaba gaba a like xanax xanax the well i don't like lorazepam but just that stimulate yes gaba versus serotonin okay so, interesting hmm. um so yeah i don't know it's it's in the back burner and i i joked with my friend jamie who is my like pseudo one of my real good friends in arizona who's a doctor i'm like well maybe when in arizona i'll try it but you know the main thing is the the biggest thing with this illness is, you know, the post-exertional malaise and of every group I have been on. And especially in a lot of the countries that pot had been legal for years said, I didn't find one person that had any, they all benefited from the 
psychological aspects of this illness, but not one person had any increase of their ability to exercise, movement, or any of that, mm. which was the part that I was like hoping, mm-hmm. like, has, you know, that that's the part that I need the most help with, like uh, the recovery. That's accompanied uh, uh, my experience as well. I used to work out almost every morning just to like, as sort of a part of like you'd have a cup of coffee. I would have coffee right. at work in the morning. I'd exercise and ride my bike to work. And like, yeah. you know, that was my steam. Gosh, I now it's great because I walk dogs every day of the week. And otherwise my wife and I'll go hiking in the forest on the weekends. But, um, that's but that it. is, but that's, I mean, but that's great that you're not getting the backlash from that. I mean, and <laughs> they used to call it exercise fatigue and then they're going much more to um, exertional because it can depend on the day, you know, one day it can be, a, a, you know, getting out of bed is an exertion. And I always call it the water test for me or the glass test. If when I wake up and I go to like pick up my glass of juice in the morning, which I dilute juice with water and add a little salt. Same here. I don't add salt, but I I usually dilute my juice. Yeah. Add salt. You need that little salt that will help your blood pressure. But um, if I pick up that glass and it feels heavy, I'm like, okay, this is is where we're starting from. And I Mm -hmm. actually, um, some of my helpers would get like there's certain glasses I can't use on bad days. They're, the glass itself is too heavy. So, you know, it's, it's noticing that's the biggest frustration. There is, um, with the research, there's no other illness that exercise makes someone worse. Hmm. Not aging, yeah. not MS. There is, and so to me, instead of what's the most frustrating to me about that is to me, that's our sweet point. Like, okay, you've got a place to start. You know this, but it has taken actually the UK just finally stopped saying graded exercise therapy, which they used to tell you to do a little and then do a little bit more. And now the better way to do is to wear that heart rate monitor, figure out your 75% max, do not go over that and pace yourself. And I said, I can tell you the second, like if I go on a, you know, my long walk is still not a mile, but I can almost in my head tell you now, I bet I'm at 143. I'm at 152 and stop. But, you know, there's so many theories. There's the Dower theory, which is, um, does the body go into some sort of hibernation mode? So you're, that's why it can't exercise. There's the vagus nerve theory. Does it infect the vagus nerve? There's the T1, T2 shift. Why do people when they're pregnant start feeling better? Like, because the immune system switches off. I mean, the theories are absolutely endless, but I think what we haven't reached yet is cellular medicine. Well, without... Yeah, go go ahead. No, you continue and then I'll, I'll go. Well, I think like, just like, um, I think the, one of the biggest things I learned in medical school is sometimes the simplest things. Like I always thought of blood as blood. And then when you're in school, you realize, oh no, there's blood and there's cells. And they're these two different entities within the same entity. And so that's where, you know, diabetes is, you know, you have, you're dying in a sea of plenty. You have plenty of sugar in your blood, but that sugar is not getting into your cell. And I think that this illness, there's something that a trigger happens and there's something wrong with you can't get that ATP to your 
um, mitochondria, but that's cellular medicine. And we haven't really, that's where we need to examine the cellular aspect. And that is the most frustrating to me is that there was such pushback for so many years that, well, no, you have to exercise that. Well, that's because that's what we know makes all, all illnesses better. And to me, it was like, no, you've got the missing piece right in front of you. Like, this is what makes us all so different. That's your starting point. Why are you, why is everyone arguing about this? Everyone has told us this. We, we all know it. We have a body of people that all know it. Like, you know, more and more people that are male and athletic have started to come forward. And that has really helped because mainly this was more female related illnesses, which have a long history. Yes. There's a social shame. There is. Someone here told me, oh, before I did the podcast, I actually had an anonymous YouTube uh, channel out there where I would take, do anonymous videos. Oh. And, and just talk about, you know, my experience with this illness, this mental illness, because there's such a stigma about men having it. And I thought it was important to, to share that voice. It is. Um, what they taught us in this rehab was that, um, you know, they, they were much simpler about it. Broad brush, uh, you know, for us that were coming from all different walks of life without really uh, any expectation of a medical background of understanding. Um, but they did, you know, they taught us about the brain structure, the old brain structures, you know, and, and the newer brain structures, the frontal cortex and the, the, the old um, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems and how mm-hmm. they operate. And the reason what we would go for, uh, this was a 10 week rehab course. Um, and around week five, we started to take these walks where we would have like a walking stick in each hand that was spring loaded and we kind of push it down and we walk without talking at a pace that we can breathe comfortably through our nose um, and that we don't get out of breath. And that's why we don't talk. So we don't want to add that stress. Yes. Yes. It, it was important to not exceed that level of effort because then you start to signal the brain to kick into a parasympathetic response, which right now is in recovery. You're mm-hmm. you've overstimulated, you know, the, the, the fight or flight, like sympathetic nervous system with so much, overworking or fatigue or adrenaline or whatever it is that that had put you in this condition so that now your parasympathetic nervous system recovery is sort of a bit handicapped you're trying to play catch up and you just don't want to like give it the signal that it's got to do anything new anything more than it's already doing that's so true and you know unfortunately there's people like myself who have been at this for a really long time and we've just still just hit our sweet spot and we don't seem to, you know, get above that. And that's, and that's the part where the, it's like, how far do I push? How far do I accept? Is this it forever? Will there be improvements? And it doesn't sound like you had, do they, in your rehab, do they do any looking at, you know, viral, you know, any no, sort of. And they didn't push us to, to, well, they made, they said, if we feel like we can do more, go ahead and do it. But there's never a push to, to do more. Like just, you know, if you can get out. But the causation they thought is, is do, I'm curious if in like Sweden, because they do recognize that, like you said, the hitting of the wall, 
do they also though separate that out from me or are you considered to have a separate illness they never talked about me or chronic fatigue syndrome interesting um, and so I, I they're trying to approach this sort of as uh, with a novel approach they're, they're okay. really looking at the brain and the symptoms and and giving it maybe its own name and recognizing all sorts of things we hugged trees we took uh -huh. forest baths um we we did a lot of breathing exercises we did a lot of like the sort of meditative exercises where you're just present you're deeply mindful kind of like how we okay. started this out like really you know sitting in a chair with your feet on the ground and contacting the ground and it was all in swedish so honestly i hung in there how i could but you know right i understood like not as much as i should the rest that i didn't understand i just imagined they were seeing nice things about me which i'm sure wasn't the case they're talking about you know meditating but it's what i did for an imagination exercise um and it, it helped my self-esteem but no uh the their approach was quite esoteric so i don't think they're I, I think they're they're reaching out to see where people have tried things that have seemed to have been successful on people with similar symptoms and brought them together it's quite unique okay. it is unique and i mean it's wonderful but then i you know i wonder is there a subset of people that are being missed by some medical interventions as i said you know there's body mind and mind body and sometimes with these illnesses they seem to like for me to one of the biggest barriers has been my developing a ton of food allergies which a lot of people do they didn't and, ever talk about nutrition and we brought that up what about the relationship with food and I don't know why they didn't want to go there, but they didn't. But I'm sure, Heather, they're missing a lot. And you talk about the viral connection too. Absolutely. I think that it's not that they're missing a lot like that's a um, any kind of uh, critique. Just that well, no, I understand. they're but, but only they're, hitting a few of the only ones. Well, and it's interesting because they're hitting very differently than they are in the U.S. But because it was so stigmatized, I think people in our in our sphere gets so worried that they push that aspect so hard for so long that some of the actual interventions of medical interventions were being missed. And then, you know, they do right. find some people really well with low naltrexone. Some people do really good with Valcite. Some people re do really well with and Some of the MS drugs people do really well with. And, that is, I think, with this illness, the biggest battle is separating out that body, mind, mind, body. Because as I always said to people, why would I have dropped out of my perfect life? I had everything I wanted. Yeah. And oh, I yeah. wasn't, I, I, I wasn't at the time, I wasn't, yeah, I was stressed, but I'd been stressed a million times in my yeah. life. Two. You know? Yeah. And again, if we circle back, I had also had the experience of going from incredibly ill to removing an organ, my tonsils, to a magic cure. So I had this um, unique perspective of this is my second go around of this. And like I said, even when I started developing all these food allergies, I thought I was having panic attacks at restaurants. Mm -hmm. And it took until, you know, I ate a thing of peas one night and was like, I, I can't breathe. Can you be allergic to peas? How can you be allergic to peas? That doesn't make any sense. 
apparently you can be and potatoes and carrots and celery and uh, potato starch um so that for me has been which is quite common the worst part because if we go back to antibodies and memory most of the food allergy community your body now has decided that that's a foreign invader and the more you try it you know the worse they get which is what happened with me i just thought no this isn't happening this isn't happening and um that to me has been the biggest barrier because if that is a catch-22 of needing more help because i can't order out food and like yesterday i was craving a burger for some reason and i'm like i wonder if i can have culver's crab burger ever and i was culver's like, I has a like crab burger Crap. I'm like, it's not like great food. Oh, crap. <laughs> okay, crap <laughs> burger. Not, yeah, it's not like some great thing. Right, I was that's craving. upcycling at a new level. All right. Yes, yes. I was just craving just some fatty, you know, yeah, 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 meat. yeah, yeah. And I'm like, but I feel like though a few years ago when I had it, I didn't feel well. Well, now everyone's so good. I look up, oh, no kidding. Their bun has potato starch. No wonder why, you know, and mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just, um, I, you know, there's just this very, I think you have to be sane to do exactly what you're doing. And they seem to be doing a wonderful job of you don't push it, you know, don't go past your breath because the body has to learn to recover. But it seems that most people that have had it so long, that's the frustration as you hit a, a point where you a can't. Plateau. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I, I mean, I know I still have a long way to go and I'm, I'm not going to like determine the outcome at, at, you know, such an early stage, but I feel like I've plateaued and I, and that's where I feel like I have to accept I'm, you know, that I'm not going to return to where I was and that I, I, I should sort of reset my expectation and be quite happy with, with the new now. That's it. Like, I'm only going to find disappointment in trying to, you know, reach something that's out of reach fuck that. Like I will right. to, like accept where I'm at right now. And if that now continues to change, fine, so be it. But like that, you know, having your battery run out like that, you know, yeah. you, you go one day is really good. Another day, like I hit the wall again a couple of weeks ago and it was the worst it had been in, I don't know, half a year. And it sucked Scary. to have that happen again. It totally sucked. And I felt stupid and tiny minded. And like, I, uh, one of the things I will do is cry. And it's not okay. at all because I'm sad. I'm not feeling any no. emotional sadness. It's no, like, no, it's just a release. It's like a body reaction. Um, yes. And, I, and it, I felt so fucking stupid. But the thing is, I wasn't paying attention to my little battery meter coming up to that. I, I had felt like I was getting tired and I had to be a bit careful, but then I was like, push through, you know, like That's this is right. like put in the extra effort and right. I, it was too much. So now what I do, and I want to ask how this works for you. If you do something like this, uh, oftentimes after my short shift, not always, but often enough, I feel really fucking tired. So before I even get on the bike and come home or take the train or whatever I'm doing to get home. I'll just find a chair and sit and I'll totally go mindful. I'll totally drop in and feel the feelings, feel the heaviness, feel the tired, fucking soak in it, look at it, examine it, feel it, allow it, allow it, allow it. 
And it's like a little journey um, that after a certain amount of time, I feel like my, as if I've plugged in my battery charger, it's charged uh-huh. up my battery enough that I feel like, all right, I'm back enough that I can make it home. Do you do anything like that? Does it work for you? You know, I mean, I have gotten to such a routine that it doesn't happen as often that I get so crashed. I mean, it happened when that happens because I'm not out in the world very often, mm-hmm. it doing it at home and often at at night, you know, I, I don't know how the nights are for you, but for a while I would always be up around two, three in the morning. Like you would wake up? Yes. Feeling like I have a really bad flu and the, you know, Oh my God. I used to feel constantly like I was getting the flu and I kept saying, Oh, now I've got the flu for sure. This time was the flu. Last time it wasn't, I thought it was, but, (laughs) but I know this time for sure it's the flu and then it wouldn't be. It would No, it's, and so I would have to do a real, you know, I, I, I would have to, that's when I started watching um, MSNBC when I was on the West Coast because 4 a.m. it's live uh, and I needed some lo- something like grounding. And so I would, I would do that. And there's like at night now a, a few meditations I listen to. When I had Sophie, it would be great. I'd put my hand on her and that would be, now Daisy doesn't stay with me at night because she's too much work for me in the morning. So I've lost that little companion of being ill at night and kind of having heard of someone to ground because you don't have, I don't have a person. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I'm much better at events like, which we haven't had in a while because I'll kind of gear up to be able to rest all day to go to something, whether it be a party or something and, you know, any, whatever the event is, a Halloween thing. And if I'm at it and start to feel like that, um, I've often found I'll just go into a different room and just yeah. close the door and just, okay, breathe. You know, you just you reset and take that five, 10 minutes and then come back or, you know, just go quiet for a little bit. So, yeah, I think these techniques are so now, I never, I don't have a formal practice. I listen to this woman I found, the Luna Neat on YouTube. I love her. Um, she does ASMR, which I didn't even know what ASMR videos were, but I don't watch them. I just, oh yeah, I I haven't, I, I, I I know what they are. I think I I actually don't even know what it stands for. Um, and I just did once I, you know, she came up after I was doing a yoga nidra and I listened to her every single night and she, that for the second her voice starts and I start to be like, oh, okay, you know, kind of can take me down. But say her name again so people can called, check it out if you're interested. She's called the Loon, like Moon, L U N E, Innate. I think it's I N N I A T E, the Lunanate. Okay. I'll look her up right now. She's wonderful and she's funny. I think that's what it, you know, because sometimes people take all this stuff way too seriously. And I'm not a serious person in some regards. Some things of my life I am, not this. It's just too much. Humor is the best. Um, it is, yeah. I mean, I miss so much my, you know, if I can't get back to Phoenix, Christine, who helps me, who I, this is a funny story, who I, most of the best helpers I've had, I've poached from somewhere else. Uh-huh. Like I've met them somewhere. I'm in like, so do you like your job? <laughs> so um, I was getting a bikini wax from this girl at the time. And I was like, 
she can give me a bikini wax. I can be pretty comfortable with this person. And uh -huh. I'm like, uh -huh. so she started helping me <laughs> in the that, evening. How did that go, though? When did you ask her? Like, hey. Uh, well, you know, it was funny. It was one of those <laughs> things. My, my little safe haven when I was a little bit better was I used to go to Nordstrom Spa while I was in medical school. That was the place I went. Nordstrom had a spa. It was, no one knew about it. Not touristy, not fancy. And I, I, that was my go-to place. And then when I moved back, I started feeling a little bit better. And I, I said to uh, Aaron, who gave me a massage, I, I think I finally want to go, go all in. I, I'm going to go for a Brazilian. I said, who should I go to? And she's like, go to Christine. I'm like, okay. And I met this girl and I'm like, I really like her. I don't know what it, like you said, when you don't know why you like someone, I'm like, uh, there is something about yeah. this person. And then I went back for my, like a little bit for my eyebrows. And then I was doing those hydrotherapies. And I said, hey, I do this hot, cold treatment at my house. Would you ever be looking for some extra work? And she said, oh, sure. And that kind of evolved to, you know, now she works, quote, works for me year round, even if we created an arrangement. And, um, but the best thing about her is she's freaking funny. And she yeah. gets my humor and it makes it all, which I think is sometimes hard with, you know, now my mom has been helping me for six straight months and sure we laugh the same, but when a parent is having to watch their child suffer and look at me break down and be like, what am I going to do if one of you gets sick? You know, we don't have help here. I, I, you know, I can't care for myself. Like, yeah. and when you're dealing with it with your your family member there's not that separation where you know i can have a horrible day and chrissy and i i mean we just we make up stories about everyone that lives in my complex she's got nicknames you know it's like the humor or the absurdity of it she will find the absurdity yeah. and but also when someone is with you all the time they see how badly you suffer mm -hmm. and the rest of the world the majority of even of my close friends they only see me if I feel well. They see you at your best. Yeah. They, right. at the, they only see they, you at your best. Yeah. They don't see that, you know, and you've got these people that live in, basically live in your home and it's a very um, unique, it's, it, it's a relationship you can't explain if you've never, and it's very uncomfortable at first. You don't want caregivers, like this is nuts. But when you find that certain people, they just, um, they make your life so much easier. I mean, just, um, you know, if you it's, can it's laugh, that that's really good. If you're you, able you to have still to. laugh, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah. for the record, when I do these podcasts, um, mm -hmm. I've canceled them before I've canceled interviews because I'm feeling too shitty. Uh, and if I'm doing a solo show, well, I just don't do it because it's <laughs> right. Um, but it's, it's a, it's, it's like going for a run and afterwards I'll be exhausted, but there's a leg in that too. So how's that for you? So for me, after this interview, I'll still, I'll have some momentum like we talked about before and I'll probably get tired tomorrow afternoon well, or and tomorrow that, evening from this. And that's, what, that's what they didn't understand in the beginning is the fatigue can happen anywhere from immediately to 24 to 48 hours after exertion. Okay. That's fascinating. And, this yes, is so great, man. It, it, it is. And so for me, like today, when I woke up, I was like, God damn it. I had this great day yesterday. And today yeah. I'm feeling like 
hell. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, what do you do? You, sh- you one thing at a time. And I don't know if you experienced this, but also what I know what's different is I don't, I can't remember the exact neurological term. It's like, you know, when you reach for the radio knob, you know where it is. You're not thinking you turn up the volume. Mm-hmm. And I have found what this illness does when it's in a really bad state is I have to think of everything before I do it. I'd like to grab that glass of water. How am I going to do it? Uh, okay, rip the Band-Aid, move your arm. Oh, you, you know, know? I, I, that's where I fuck up. That's where, so that's interesting. This is a tip you're giving me right now because mm-hmm. when I get really tired, I'm not doing that. I'm still reaching automatically for the radio knob, but I end up like grabbing fucking some other thing that's totally not a radio knob and then i realize (laughs) i'm making mistakes i'm starting to make stupid Mm -hmm. mistakes i mean yes and and so so what i should do is stop and really think deliberately what i'm about to do i haven't done that so this is and i mean i i didn't develop it on purpose it's just that my brain wants to grab something and i can't do it i mean i lost um, I lost my signature for about three years. Mm. And um, wow. again, like, when you think these things, like that should have been alarming. I should have been calling someone. Like right. I went to pick up carry out. I went to sign my name and my hand wouldn't work. And I remember coming out and saying to Mark, my ex, like, I just tried to sign my name. I couldn't sign it. And he's like, oh, I'm sure you're, of course you can. I'm like, no, I'm not joking. Like, I don't know how to sign my name and I'm like, give me a piece of paper. And I, I kept trying and I kept trying and there's something neurologically. And so on really bad days. That's really I get, unsettling, right? When that yes, kind of thing that you should is. know easily is inaccessible. But it wasn't unsettling because no one, I didn't have anyone to go to to say it was unsettling. So it just became a new thing and I would print my initials, but mm. When I'm having a really, really bad day, when I wake up and if I can tell it's bad, that's what I do. I said, okay, we go, we just, we don't think past, you know, okay, we're, first you open your eyes. Okay, we're going to open our eyes. Now, slowly sit up. And then I sit up. Now I'm going to hydrate. You know, hydration helps. Hydrate, hydrate. And then don't think of how am I going to get through this whole day? You just start at, the you know you just cut it down you just do everything i always say it reminds me of love actually that movie when he does everything his life in segments because he has no job I'm going to get my haircut is too oh yeah it. right i finally saw the movie once i have to see it again it was much better than i yeah. thought i was reluctant to yes. watch that movie and it's a, it's a pretty wonderful movie it i is like cute, the way they spread together the stories yeah yeah but he he kind of takes his day in these little tiny chunks and um you know some days it's easier than others you know some days it's like okay that's what i have to do and other days it's like is this for real like i really have to think about sitting up i have to think about grabbing some juice i have to think about how am i gonna put my feet on the ground like is this for real but it like you said i think it's the mind fuck it's really hard to comprehend and as you said no after 12 15 years and again it it's changed it hasn't always been the same i think i said in the beginning it was very adrenaline driven i could do a lot but i was so exhausted and it was just like i I was just running and running in these circles where now it's, I'm much more stable, but my 
abilities and capabilities have not changed as far as independence. And that's the scariest part moving forward, thinking, shit, I'm 48. Thank God we have financial stability, but how much financial stability do you need to get me through if I need full-time care for the next, you know, how many ever years? Um, I think I was able to mask a lot of it when I was with Max Mark, like, because I knew someone was coming home at night. I knew someone was going to be around during What's the day. What's that? Is that a person or a company or a service? No, no, my my ex boyfriend. Your ex Mark. I heard you say yeah. Max Mark, like Walmart. <laughs> well, Ma- no, oh, gotcha. no. When I was with my ex, even though he didn't Sorry. believe me, he, no, that's fine. He didn't believe me at all. Um, I mean, we'd yeah. get in arguments at the allergist. He didn't believe me, but it's amazing the idea of a a body being in your space of what a difference that does. Yeah. Because I you don't. If I have to be alone, I have to decide, well, I have to make sure I can get through to the next thing, or what if I can't do it? So I have to plan my day very differently. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, when I'm in Arizona, I have nearly someone comes at 8.30 in the morning and someone leaves at eight at night. And some nights I'd have, ha- I'd have someone spend the night if I was really, really sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a humbling experience because it's almost like being, you know, uh, someone who's 90, but you're 40. Heather, I, I'm going to say something that I've, I've thought about. And I, I think about it for me. I, I have this thing. Maybe you've heard me talk about dark teachers on the podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound awkward. And so for all the awkwardness that it's going to sound like, please forgive me. Okay. Cause none of it is intended. Like for this to happen to someone, it's a very, very difficult thing and possibly difficult to really describe. It's one of those, like any experience, if you try to explain the taste of a certain food to someone, it's a whole different level than tasting the food and then understanding it, you know? Yes. Um, And for this to happen to someone, this is where it sounds like an awful thing to say, but like, I'm so glad that it was able to have happen to someone that has such a, a clear voice and understanding and you're this, this like, uh, sort of portfolio of, of experience in education, not even though it's like so much, so many more dimensions than that. The last time you talk about giving and like, you know, that you feel like you, you, some, in some relationships you give and, and it's not coming back. The last time that I saw you, you were giving to <laughs> a whole like bags, like I think three big garbage bags full of clothes to donate and well, thank you. I, and the, that this has happened to you, it's not fair to you. No doubt about it, no bones about it. But what you are turning this around to give is and have given is incredible. And the fact that you feel like you're done writing right now, be done writing, like totally, like just right. set it down. Like if that's the time, just set it down just you being you this conversation just oh it's so you're fine. just oh man i'm yeah. serious though you're just um you're just bountiful with with 
love and hearing and understanding and, and like wisdom from the roots. Like you're not talking theory, you're talking from your direct experience, which I also think is so damn important more than any other book or anything you can ever read. That's why the Mayo Clinic had it wrong. There's no direct experience there. They're only going from like book knowledge or theory. Like you have this direct right. experience and it's, it's invaluable and it's just, it's incredible. And you're so sweet. And I hope I, I'll, I'll, I will try to believe you. I think with this illness, as you said, you struggle with is, Oh, I should be doing more. I should be doing more, you know, and then you start looking at your past life and Oh my God, am I never going to travel again? Am I never going to see these places? And I'll have to come back to you. You did when you could. So that's all. Yeah, it totally. You did when you could, you didn't yes. take any mo moment of that for granted. Yeah. So it's, as you said, reinventing a new chapter, just not sure I'm so happy with the book. <laughs> so it's so. It, I, the book, you know, all right, to get a little deep, I don't think we're going to get as far as we wanted to in this conversation. Sure. And okay. so, cause we haven't even gotten into the healing and like remote healing and oh, right. yes. Reiki and entities and, you know, so that's the fun stuff and we'll, and we'll do that another time because that that's deserves wonderful. time. And like, it's, it's great. It's a, it, it leaves a nice cliffhanger too. For it, a does, it does leave a good cliffhanger. Um, I have to just thank you because I was at a really dark place when you reached out to me. Like I, I really was, like I said, you know, we touched briefly that I'm pretty sure I had COVID in March. And the one thing I've been blessed with this, with this illness is I have never suffered from clinical depression. And I've always been very clear about that because that's a horrific disease that people suffer and people do not understand being sad versus clinically depressed. Yeah. And when I got sick in March, everything changed. I had been doing so well. And then it was starting over with everything. I was like, how can more new symptoms come? But what came with it, which I had never experienced was true depression. And I'm slowly coming out of that, I think, because I'm slowly getting better six months later from recovering from that illness. But when you reached out, I was like, oh, it was like just a thing. It was like a reminder, like, oh, yeah, there's people like Ken out there. It's like, it's okay. You're, you're going to get through this. But um, so I'm so grateful for you for it. Just so grateful. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm. <laughs> I know this, this it sounds hilariously dumb, but I'm grateful that you're grateful. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, you do this infinite mirror thing, but thank you. No, it just takes a lot. No, that just really meant, it just meant the world. And it, it, like you said, it's funny how things happen on the time they happen. Cause I was, I was like, I was scared. I had not had that experience before. And I was like, this is very, this is very unusual for me. And will it come out? And just that, and it does show, and especially people struggling during this time of just reaching out to people does make yeah. such a difference. I just watched this movie tonight uh, with my daughter and my wife that I, I bought a while ago and I've, I've just forgotten that I had it to watch. It um, features Paul Stamets. I don't know if you know who Paul Stamets oh. is. Uh, he's sometimes on, uh, he's done some TED Talks. He's a mycologist, uh, mushroom specialist out in the Oh, state right. Um, I take a supplement of his called Lion's Mane Mushroom, which has been okay. shown to promote neurogenesis. Um, oh, I'll look and, it up immediately. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, actually, the movie is 
I think it's phenomenal. It's, it's, it's not perfect, but it's a tough subject uh, out in the context of, of modern culture and society and especially traditional Western medical beliefs um, and indoctrination. It's, it comes off as one of those sort of bias movies that's trying to like, like a Michael Moore movie might have an yeah, obvious right. bias. So you always feel right. like you're being sold something and mm-hmm. you're not sure of the, the full credibility of, you know, hundred percent of the people in it. Um, but it's more like one of these health food movies. All right. So I just, it sounds like I'm trash talking it. I just want to put out the caveat that it has that potential flavor, but I think it's an exceptional movie. I think it delivers the message it's supposed to deliver. It's great. But one of the things that he says in it, uh, which is why I started this, um, is that ab- about mycelia and mushroom uh, as, a, as a species that's been on the planet, as a kingdom that's been on the planet for so long. Right. Um, you know, it's shown that it's, it's uh, able to adapt and, uh, and thrive and endure, um, but more than just being successful as, as any individual species, what it demonstrates because of how it works within an ecosystem of, of the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom is how much more resilient we can be as a community. And that's what it reminds me of right now. And you say like, mm-hmm. you're at the slow point and you felt like, you know, things are shit. And then I reached out to you and you felt that connection again. I, I think it's so important that we do as people like, remember we are connected and keep yeah. those connections and like feed them, you know, give them nourishment because we are stronger together for sure. Yes, we are. Uh, you have a different vantage point being in Sweden right now. It's been a very difficult time in the U.S. right now for yeah. that. That is for yeah. sure. Yeah, um, I think that has taken an emotional toll more than probably COVID has. You know, that's yeah. just that lack of togetherness. But we've got to, we have to find a way to come back to it because, you know, people are. I think what I've seen is just like I said. There's, there's a collective grief. People are experiencing what I've dealt with for years um that's exactly what i was just thinking like you know exactly what yeah yeah but again it's different because it may or may not have happened to someone where it was actually happening to me and i think that's where the push and pull comes but um yeah well thank you just thank you very much and i i I look forward to our fun part too (laughs) yeah me too and i i believe you are 100 percent exactly where you're supposed to be and you may not see it as the shining light but you're a shining light and uh, Uh, i I will take that you know it it takes being around i think too with isolation people are seeing that of who who are you around who builds you up and um that to me i said to someone i think the worst part of this illness is my um because i was such an extrovert how my circles stopped at a certain point in life and they didn't expand yeah and that um you know trying to find a way to expand those circles and i think that's what this brought me it was like oh i can expand my circle which is because of covid more people are doing video things and there's been an opportunity like okay how are you going to expand your circle again because yeah life your voice right now can must actually it's interesting your voice, your whole experience, you have authority on something that now so many more people are suddenly falling into and feeling lost. And you're, I, I, wow, who knows? Yeah, we'll see, but 
<laughs> we'll see who wants to listen. Um, all right. We'll, we'll continue this. Uh, Sounds good. Thank you. I have, I have tremendous love and respect and admiration for you. Thank you so oh, much, Heather. Thanks. You're welcome, Ken. And Thank you so much. Let's do part two kind of soon. When they come out, who knows? But so, yeah. I am, I am in a knock on wood, good, pretty good space right now. This is a great sweet point of time frame. So whenever you want to do it, that that's fine by me. Yeah, that's good. We, we should take advantage of of when we can because you never know yes. what what's about. <laughs> you to never happen. know. Right. Yeah, cool. you never know what's on the other side of the mountain, as they say, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this oh, and right. perfect timing. This dog wants to go out now too. So perfect. Awesome. Okay, and, dogs and, always uh, know. Greetings to Daisy. Oh, yes. She was whining at the door. I so. heard her before. She's cute. And your whole oh, That's the one word for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I Thanks. know. All right. Thank you, we'll talk Ken. talk soon. Bye. Okay, bye. All right. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. So thanks again to Heather Dresky for a wonderful, warm, insightful, informative, meaningful conversation. Look forward to part two, just around the corner, so stay tuned for that one. As mentioned in the beginning in the intro, I will now share with you this poem by Max Ehrman from 1927, actually not 1929, as I had misspoken, called The Desiderata. So, here it is. Go placidly amid the noise and the haste, and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible and without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly, and listen to others, even to the dull and the ignorant. They too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexatious to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter for always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself. Especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love. For in the face of all aridity and disenchantment, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune, but do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be. 
and whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace in your soul. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. D-E-S-I-D-E-R-A-T-A Desiderata You can find it all over the net. Love yourselves. Love each other. Thank you again for joining another episode of All One Time Live. Until next time, be well, be cheerful, strive to be happy.